Today, um, I get the pleasure of introducing my wife to bring the sermon this morning. I'm really excited about that. Jake is teaching over at The Calling, um, which is a local church here that we've bonded with really well. And um, he's over there blessing their congregation. And Crystal's going to bring the word here. Um, I'm, come on up, babe. I'm going to pray and then, then, we'll, then we'll get started. Yeah, Jesus, we love you. <clears throat> and I just pray what we were already singing, Lord, that you'd, you'd make our hearts be in a place to, to receive from you, Lord. Um, thank you for Crystal and her servant, servant attitude and spirit and her boldness and being willing to bring the word today. We love you and we can't wait to see what you do in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Eddie. Good morning. Oh, this is such a, this is a different place that I'm standing this morning. This is sweet. It's good to see you guys. I love y'all. This is so fun. Okay. Well, I am, I'm going to pray one more time for my own heart (laughs) and mind, and we'll get started. Jesus, we love you. God, it is so good to be in your presence. So thankful that you are here in our midst, God. And uh, yeah, Lord, bless the reading of your word this morning. Your word that is living and powerful, more powerful than a double-edged sword. And it divides our hearts and our spirit, Lord. And God, come and do that supernatural work in us today as we look at your word, as we look at your truth. I pray that we wouldn't just look at words on a page or words on the screen or, or hear words coming out of my mouth. I pray that anything that's my words would fall to the floor, Lord, and that your words would come forth, Jesus, because it's by your word that we're changed. God, I love you. I thank you, God. Have your way this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've been in a spirit, or in a spirit, we've been in a sermon series about the Holy Spirit for, what's it been? Is this week eight? Yeah, so two months now. It's been so good, and we've covered a lot, a lot of ground, and um, this morning, I'm going to be kind of talking on this anchor verse of Matthew 5, 8, which is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God kind of our our anchoring verse this morning and it's something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart for a while and so when Jacob asked me to preach that was the first thing like I knew in the depths of my heart like it's going to center around this point and it's been sweet just watching the Lord kind of unwrap like I thought we were going one direction and he took, took me a different way, and I'm excited. And So anyways, I'm going to kind of give a brief overview of some stuff in the Old Testament to kind of give a groundwork for where we're going. Um, sight and the state of the human heart have always been tied together. They are linked, and... You can see it all the way back into the garden. Um, What was it that tempted Eve? Satan comes to her in the form of the serpent and is saying, oh, God's lying to you. 
you don't need to trust him. He's already attacking God's character. It's like, he doesn't want you to see. He doesn't want your eyes to be opened and for you to be like him. And he tempts her with this idea of, one, God's not trustworthy, and two, I'm like being withheld from something that's far better than what I'm experiencing right now. And so what does she do? We know the story. She takes of the fruit and her eyes are opened. And it's so interesting that the word says her eyes are opened because while she is open to the knowledge of good and evil, she's open to sin and what it is. Her eyes are then shut to who God is. So in one sense, they are opened, and in another sense, they're, they're closed. And God is a holy God who can't stand in the presence of sin, and the fall happens, and there's a curse that's placed on humanity. And I do want to note how precious it is that even in that, like, perfect communion, like what we were just singing about, perfect communion with the Father. They walked in the cool of the day with God. What a wild thought. And then their eyes are open and they're aware that they're naked. Like the purity of what was, like that's not even something we can even like fathom. Like walking around naked, fully just, fully exposed, and fully just, here we are. But there's no thought towards it that is impure and, and staining and defiling. There's nothing funky about it. But then when their eyes are open, they're aware immediately. They know, I'm, I'm naked. They run. They go hide themselves. They go make clothes for themselves out of leaves. And so when God comes looking for them and he knows where they are and they say, we're over here. We were naked. We hid. Who told you you were naked? Like their eyes were opened. I love that the Lord, even though they had to leave, that he made them a covering out of animal skins before they left. Like He's not brewing over here in his anger and wrath and judgment and like, get out of my sight. The heart of God still even then is like, I love you. There was a plan from the beginning. So anyways, we're going to go into Deuteronomy 29 and 30. And this is a renewing of a covenant that God gives with the children of Israel. You know, they come out of Egypt and the first covenant that he makes with the children of Israel is, you know, given through Moses and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. You've got to love him with all of you. And we know the story. We know that Moses goes up on the mountain receives the Ten Commandments and comes back down and they're already building idols and, you know, just totally forsaking the Lord. And we watch his faithfulness just woven all throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. Their sandals didn't wear out. That's a wild thought. <laughs> I mean, Alex, your sandals. 
actually have holes in them and you're wearing them. Not today, but tomorrow maybe. Yeah. But he's feeding them daily with bread from heaven. Manna means what is this? They've never seen it before. We've never seen it since. Not in that way. Like he's leading them by a cloud in the day and, and fire, a pillar of fire by night. He's providing for them. And even though their hearts are full of complaining and it was better when we were back in Egypt, back when we were in bondage, I'd rather be there than out here with you. I mean, their hearts are just far from him. And so at the very end of Moses' life, he renews the covenant and in 29, verse 2, Moses summons all of Israel together, and he says, You've seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his entire land. You saw with your own eyes the great trials and those great signs and wonders, and yet... To this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. Drink of water. So what's he saying? He's saying, you see, but you don't see. You have seen me provide for you day in and day out, and you've seen me cover you and you've seen me defeat your enemies be your defender and yet you don't see me you don't love me with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength even though I've proven I've proven myself I love you you don't see me and so when you look in chapter 30 we're going to start in verse 6 this is the new covenant. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and your soul so that you will live. Well, how, do, how does this happen? It's such a strange thing to say, you can't see me, and I've not allowed you to see me. Because it says that the Lord hasn't given them eyes to see and hearts to understand. But I'm going to circumcise your heart so that you do understand. Okay, so what's the in here? It says in verse 2, And you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all of your heart and your soul doing everything I'm commanding you today, and then he'll restore your fortunes. He'll have compassion on you, and so on and so forth, and you'll get this new heart. So, the children of Israel called to obey the Lord, and we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament just how in-depth this was. Um, all of the sacrifices and the way that the temple was built, and, I mean, there was no details that this I mean the temple itself so elaborate and every square inch of it there was purpose nothing was done just because I think it looks good like there was purpose and meaning behind all of it it's so wild but anyways this is this is the framework this is the the place that the children of Israel are in of if you want to see me 
If you want a new heart, you need, you need to do what I'm commanding you to do. You need to obey. So we're going to go into the New Testament, and Jesus is on the scene and going to start seeing some of this unfold and how this applies to us. And so we're going to start in Luke 18. And this is just so sweet of the Lord. We're going to look at two different accounts of Jesus healing a blind man. And the first one we're going to look at is Luke 18, 35 to 42. So it says, as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front of him told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Jesus told him, your faith has saved you. Instantly, he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So, we see a man who is blind, sitting by the road, hears that Jesus is in town. And the first thing that we have to make mention of is he knew who Jesus was. He was making a declaration when he said, son of David, have mercy on me. That was an immediate recognition of that's the Messiah. It wasn't a, who's this Jesus guy? He knew that's the Messiah. They were in, where were they? Yeah, Jericho. They, they knew that a Messiah was coming, but there were plenty that we will get into and we'll see that did not make that recognition of Jesus, that he was son of David, the Messiah they had been longing for and waiting for. But this blind man, he didn't need to see anything. He knew the Messiah was in his presence. And he knew that he was the key to the miracle that he was longing for. And when he says, your faith has saved you, this is a scripture that, I, I mean, I've seen manipulated and twisted to get what you want out of God of like, if you just have enough faith, then you can receive your miracle. That's not what God is saying here. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you, you recognize who I am. You believe that I am who you say that I am, who I say I am. That was the thing that's been affronted since the beginning, right? That God's not trustworthy. He's withholding from you. He's, he's not worthy to be trusted. And this guy's saying, no, he's, he's the key. He's the one that I've waited for and that I've longed for. He's the Messiah. He is my Savior. And that's what saved him, and that's what brought him sight. 
And it's amazing that the guy doesn't get up and run away like I've been waiting to see for, it doesn't say how long, but I feel like if you were blind for even like a few days, it'd be like such a sweet relief to be able to see. I mean, the point is, is that he opened his eyes and he got up and immediately started worshiping Jesus, beholding the face of the man who, who just brought him this miracle and who is the savior he's been waiting for, not just for restoration of, of physical sight, but the, the restoration of his soul. He beheld him and he worshiped him and then it said that he followed him. And so, without getting into too much, we're going to go back and kind of compare some things, but I want us to turn over to um, John chapter 9, and we're going to look at this second story of Jesus healing a blind man. And we're just going to, we're just going to start going into this chapter, start at verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud from saliva and spread it on the man's eyes. I just want to say, <laughs> that had got to be like the strangest thing, because this guy's not calling out like the other guy was. The other guy hears that Jesus is in town and is like, come help. This guy's just sitting here and all of a sudden some dude's spitting in the mud and rubbing it on his face. Like that's, that's something. So he says, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man left and washed and came back seeing. I also love that this guy is like, I don't know who this dude is. He just spit in the ground, rubbed it on my face. He could have been offended, but he wasn't. He was willing to like go on a whim of like, Okay, I'll go try this. And he comes back seen. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, he just looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, then how are your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and he told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed, and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? 
He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who's been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, this is, this is so good. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, you don't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses. That's concerning the law. But this man, we don't know where he's from. This is the amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And they replied, you were born entirely in sin, and you're trying to teach us. And then they threw him out. It's such an interesting story. I, both of these stories were not what I was originally planning on teaching from. And then this week, I first happened upon the story in Luke. And then I find the one in John, and I kind of sat and wrestled for a minute and was like, are these, are these the same story? Because, you know, different gospel accounts, like, there's plenty of things that are in, the sa- in different gospels that are the same story. But then when I started reading through, it's like, okay, these are not one man is immediately recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. He's calling out for him in Luke's gospel. In John's gospel, no. And I'm, I'm weighing the differences and like, okay, so two different things. Like, sure, there's stuff we can learn here. Like, obedience. The guy was obedient. He got up and he went and he washed in the pool of Siloam. Sure, sure, sure. And, and I'm looking at the stuff with the Pharisees. I'm like, there's a lot to glean here. And then it dawned on me. Um, this is so wild. You know, Jesus, he spoke in parables. And Matthew's gospel tells us that the reason why he did that, it was actually a fulfillment of prophecy that it says here, I'm going to pull it, pull it over here and show you guys. It says um, in chapter 13, you will listen and listen, but never understand. 
you will look and look and never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Remember, that's the, that's the covenant that you see, but you can't see. And the thing about the parables was, is it's not obvious on the surface. You have to come to me. You have to seek. It says, if you seek that you will find, but it's if you seek with all of your heart. And I love seeing that with, with the disciples throughout all of those different stories, coming to Jesus and like, explain this to us. Like, what does this mean? And Jesus does. And the thing that I realized was, Jesus spoke in parables, but he also demonstrated things that weren't obvious on the surface either. Just like the breaking of the bread and the, and the, the wine, like having communion, like what we were just singing about, we know on the other side of this that it's representing his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. But, I mean, they were confused. You're telling me to eat your body and drink your blood? Like... No, like there's so much that he was, he was showing here. And I realized that the man in Luke's gospel is representative of the Jews. If, if the Jewish people would, would declare, like they would be obedient and declare, you are, this is who you say you are, I believe, I believe that you are who you say you are, then they would get a new heart. The key was that. We are, we are the blind man that's in John's gospel, completely unaware that we need saving to begin with because Jesus came for, for the Jews and the Gentiles. Like, the Jews are his people first, and then he came for the strangers, too, we're the foreigners. We're blind and unaware of our brokenness. And Jesus comes in close with his life and he, he dies for us and he makes a way for us to receive life, everlasting life, yes, but life here and now. And I love that if we, let me turn back to it, but the very end of John 9 is Jesus seeks the man out and he says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? And the guy says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answers, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And the guy replies, I believe, Lord, and he worships him. And Jesus says, this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? Like, you're accusing us of being blind now? They're so offended. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. We were unaware how blind we were and how broken we were and that we needed a savior. Jesus comes and he makes a way and he says, whoever would believe that I am who I say that I am, 
you'll be saved. And he makes a way for us. And this guy says, yeah, I believe. And the Pharisees The Pharisees are blinded by their pride. Don't tell me I need to be saved. Again, it's the original sin of, I don't need God. They wanted to justify themselves. It's a measurable thing if you can do that yourself. Like, if I do A, B, C, and D, and I do it well, then I'm set free. To them, God's the middleman. I need to cut God out. Like, I have no need for God. I can save myself. And this is, obviously, it's not the case. Jesus called them blind guides. They were, Psalm 36 says, they had flattering opinions of themselves. And because of that, they don't discover, they don't see and hate their iniquity. Like, you will remain, we all will remain in our brokenness and our sin if we are unwilling to come to the fact that you need God. It's like Paul says, I can do nothing without him. So I'm going to boast in my weakness. My weakness is I need God. But the faithfulness of God means that he comes and he does the work. We don't have to clean ourselves. He comes in. That's the job of the Holy Spirit is when we believe on, on Jesus and, I, and we say, you are the Messiah. We admit our need. I am broken. But I believe that you are the way to wholeness. He comes in and we can receive him into our hearts and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and he cleans us and he gives us a new heart that's how we, as Gentiles, get to receive a new heart. And it's such a beautiful thing. We get engrafted into this, this tree, this vine. It's wild when you think about it, that we weren't... Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. In all of the sacrificing that Israel did over and over and over again, in all of the regulations, there was never, it couldn't be clean enough because the hands that were making the sacrifice were sinful. They're human being. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was a perfect, spotless lamb that needed to be sacrificed. And so God comes down out of his love for us and says, I'll do it myself. I love you and I want all of you. He came for all of us. Hosea 6.6 6 says that he doesn't want judgment. That's the frustrating thing about the Pharisees is he says time and time again, you don't know your own book. I never desired judgment. I desire mercy. I want all, everyone to come into this. And so he comes and he makes a way. So, goodness, goodness, goodness. Hmm. So, about the Christian life, like when we, when we decide to come to him and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, and 
the Holy Spirit is now living within me and I'm sealed and you say I'm a new creation. We're singing this song, I'm a new creation, I'm forever changed. I don't feel like a new creation. How is it that I can be a new creation and yet still struggle with my flesh? And this is the thing of sanctification that we are now covered in Christ. When God looks at us who have chosen Jesus, who have said, you, you are my savior, that he sees us covered in Jesus. And so we are positionally, you're clean. You have a clean heart. You can see God now. You have the ability to have relationship with the almighty, all holy God. Even though you still struggle with sin, you can do that now. But there's also another element that if we're going to follow Jesus is so important. It is still important to follow him, follow him in his ways, to obey. That doesn't get thrown out once we decide to receive grace. Paul says in Romans, should, should I continue in sin since grace abounds? He says, no, absolutely not. All the more to cling to Jesus and be conformed into his life because since Jesus went down for our transgressions, he died for our transgressions, so too our flesh should die. And we should be raised to the newness of life, the life that we have in him, a pure life. We, we, should, we should strive for that. But the thing is, is that we don't do that in order to obtain righteousness. Our righteousness is filthy rags, it says. There's nothing you can ever do to prove yourself as being worthy of God's love, of, of, of eternal life, of being able to see him. There is nothing you can do. Your righteousness does not stand. But because Jesus made that sacrifice on our behalf, and he invites us into life with him, we should be forever indebted to him for that. Like, you died for me, why wouldn't I give my life for you? He is the treasure hidden in the field. I know we are the treasure hidden in the field, and that he sells everything in order to, to obtain us. He does that, he leaves his throne in glory. And he comes and he walks among us and he, he shows us how to live and he, he dies on our behalf and he raises to the newness of life. We are the treasure in the field, yes, but so is he. He, he is altogether worthy and holy and beautiful. And it's a heart like that that can, can see God, a heart that's like, God, I, I desire you. And even, even where I don't desire you, God, would you stir that up? Would you stir up a desire in me to want you? Like, I, I want to want you. It's the, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, 
I desire you, but help me where I don't desire you. And he'll come in. He sees that broken and contrite heart. And that's what, that's what he loves. It says that he opposes the proud. The proud that says, well, I can do what I want. It's like, if, if you're going to call on the name of Jesus, there's, give him your life. And it's worth it. He is worth it. That treasure hidden in the field is worth abandoning everything else. The, the works of the flesh, the things that, the things that our flesh lusts after and, and longs for. You know what an idol is? An idol is anything that we dub as being more desirable than God. Like, I'd rather do this, even though I know that you say not to do it, I'd rather do this for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. You're saying, this is better than you. But, but God is better. It, David writes about in the Psalms that his love is better than life. And Paul says, because he's better than life, he's worth setting everything aside and running the race with full endurance, looking to the prize ahead because he is the portion and he is the prize. I mean, all of these, these men and women, after Jesus raises from the dead, all of these, all of these people, thousands of people, the disciples, all but John, right? All being martyred for their allegiance to Jesus. It's not because he was so-so. It's not because he was like, ah, he was a decent friend. Yeah. No, they gave up their lives. They loved him unto death because they knew how beautiful this truth was. And when I haven't gotten that, like, okay, I see it, but I don't, I don't fully see it because I'm not willing to just to set aside my own fleshly wants and desires. I'm not seeing you. God, I want to see you like this. I, I want to know this. And then you start realizing how in, incredible this love is. And my problem was, is that I wasn't personally seeing just how dirty my sin was. Because maybe I'd compare it to, well, it's not this. It's not that. I mean, I'm a decent person, but I'm not. I was born in sin. That's what David says, right? Even in sin did my mother conceive me. Like, but the wisdom of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. Solomon says that. The guy who's dubbed like the most wise, the wisest king in all of creation. <laughs> he says the beginning of all wisdom starts with the fear of God. Acknowledging that you are good and you are worthy of my life. <sighs> hmm. John 14, 23 to 25, says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
The one who doesn't love me will not keep my word. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. So the Holy Spirit, when we, when we choose to believe in Jesus, comes in and he helps us to, to love and to, to desire God and to desire to do his will and to follow him and walk in his ways. He, he helps us, but it takes humility to humble ourselves to before him and, and say, I can't do this without you. I can't even see you and love you well without your help. I need you. And it's his joy and it's his pleasure to do that in us. The thing that I thought was beautiful at the end of um, the covenant that we looked at in Deuteronomy 30 is this is what the Lord says to the people, starting in verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him. Remain faithful to him, for he is your life. And so that's what, we, that's what we're standing in front of, like, There's life with him, abundant life, not just life waiting for us on the other side of the veil, life here. I mean, being able to endure trials, and it says expect it, fiery trials even of many kinds, and we all know that to be true. We've, we've all experienced it or are walking in it now, or expect it's it's part of life. We live in a broken world. None of us are exempt from this. But we have a God who loves us so much that says, I will come and I will be with you forever. Invite me in. He stands at the door and knocks. Invite me in and I will come and I will be with you and I will dine with you. And, and he's Emmanuel, God with us. We're getting ready to go into the Christmas season like Emmanuel, God with us, not just at Christmas time. Every day of every year that we are allowed here on this earth, he is with us. And so we move from being in relationship with him into relationship with him full on. Like Paul talks about what we see now, it's, it's dim, but it's good. And there is a day coming when it's going to be lifted full blown and we get to just, you are better than what I even, I can't, like you just can't imagine it. Because if you stop and taste that he's good now, if you seek him with all of your heart and see him now, you see that he is good. And yet it still doesn't compare to what's coming and being in his physical presence and all of this striving and all of this. It's a wrestle, guys. It's a wrestle. I was talking with my mom about that recently of like, 
what peace that's going to be walking in through those gates and like, I don't have to wrestle with my flesh anymore. I don't have to wrestle to like, soul, get on your knees this morning. Seek God. Seek God. It's what he asks of me and it's what I want, and, but my flesh doesn't want it. Why do I do the things that I hate? Like, it's not going to be that anymore. We get to just go and be in his presence, fully healed, fully known, fully knowing him. Like, what a joy is coming for us. But let's choose to abide now and he will give us peace and he will, he will sustain us. He's the bread of life. He's our sustenance. We can taste and see that he's good now. He's the fountain of living water. What do you do to drink from a fountain or just drink from a river? You have to, you have to bow down. Like that's an intimate thing. Like you don't just stand there and by osmosis drink water. You got to get like get in low, get in close, coming close to the Lord and 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 drink him in and he, and he will sustain you and he will give you life and will flourish even though it's winter time. It looks like it's spring. Like how is this possible? It's supernatural and that's the thing and and that supernatural work is why Jesus came. That's why he said to the disciples, did this dude's parents sin? Is he a sinner? Is this why he's blind? No, it has nothing to do with that. Jesus wants to come and he wants to do that supernatural work in us so that we would display that truth to a hurting and broken world who is blind, who needs to see this makes no sense. You should be on the floor and yet you're standing and you're worshiping and you've got a joy in you through tears. Like, what does this mean? And you get to share the hope of Jesus, a living testimony. And their eyes can be opened through the way that Jesus made. So, anyways, that's my word for this morning. But Alex is going to come up with the team and I just wanted to... I felt this morning like it'd be sweet to be able to close with some worship and I think the worship team's going to come up too and be available just to even pray with people and yeah and so yeah Jesus thank you thank you for making a way God to open our eyes and, and to behold you there's no one like you. God, you are beautiful and you are lovely and you are worthy of all of my praise. And God, that circumcision of the heart that happens, God, God, keep doing that. God, cutting away the, the flesh that is dead and it's broken and it's... It's lost so that I can have a heart that is tender towards you, a heart that is, is open to receive um, your love and behold your beauty. Lord God, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. My flesh feels that, but God, 
I choose to trust in you. You say, choose today who you will serve. And I want to serve you, God. With all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength, I want to serve you and I want to love you because you've given your all for me, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.